Nice buns, soft, fluffy, and ultra low net carbs. Discover Hero Bread, the delicious ultra low net carb bread with incredible taste and texture. Hero Bread has zero grams of sugar and is under 100 calories per serving. Plus, high in fiber with 5 to 10 grams of protein per serving. Order from Hero.co now and get 10% off your first purchase with promo code AH10. That's 10% off with code AH10. H-E-R-O dot C-O. Welcome to the Gravity Leadership Podcast, where we explore how to center our lives and our leadership in the love of God revealed in Jesus Christ. In the midst of the disruptive cultural shockwaves of the 21st century. Join us as we learn to take the love of God seriously as the force that holds all of us and everything together. Here we are. Oh, yeah. hey. Oh, sorry. I didn't even see the countdown. I'm just like in my own world. <laughs> hey, everyone. Welcome to the Gravity Leadership Podcast. Hey. Uh, we're awake and Surprise. Here- <laughs> Surprise. Time for another podcast. Here we are. And summer's right around the corner. It is you right guys, around the corner. I, I love summer. Mm, that doesn't surprise me, Christine. I mean, I love all seasons, yeah. but you know, when you get to summer, you're like, yay. Yeah. Um, a lot of, a lot of yeah. Do you guys- does life change for you in the summer? I mean, I got six kids and then all of a sudden they're not in school. So That's a big what change. about you guys? What changes for you? Well, Ben is an avid endorsement. So <laughs> basically he has more alone time since everybody's outside and he's still inside. Everybody's outside. Actually, I get less alone time because nobody's in school. Um, anyway, um, I am, I am an avid endorsement. Um, I recently got allergy testing done and, um, I realized like where why. they pick where they prick your back. Yeah, Ooh, yeah, they, like they 50 poke your back. Times. Yeah, it was so painful. I was I'm like, so I don't know sorry. if I could ever get a tattoo. This then do they do they so. take the highest three and then put it on your arm too? They didn't actually do anything on my arm because they said the results were so conclusive <laughs> from my back that I was. I mean, the, the the doctor was very surprised and was like, "Wow, you are allergic to everything." The doctor gave him actually his chart, and it just said the Earth is killing you. Good luck. <laughs> Good luck. Good luck. Do you have a hyperbaric chamber at home? No? Try to breathe. Yeah. 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 So ben actually anyway. has a, he showed us a picture on Friday of what his back looked like after the procedure. And Chrissy, it looked like somebody had uh, spray painted his back red. It oh was crazy. Goodness. It was crazy. So, so anyway, now I know why uh, being outside tends to wear me out. <laughs> Anyway, so anyway, I, I am an avid indoorsman. I do enjoy, actually, I really enjoy the weather right now is really nice. Mm-hmm. And so I like it. I do like being outside in the weather like this. So I, I survive. But I'm, um, our schedule does change a bit. Um, but my schedule is going to change significantly this summer, at least June and July, because I'm taking a little mini uh, leave of absence slash sabbatical from my church work. So I'll still be doing gravity stuff, um, but I'm, you know, I'm bivocational. And so spend about half my time on the church, about half my time on gravity. I'll still continue to spend half my time on gravity, but that half that's spent on the church will be reallocated for um, rest, rejuvenation, connection. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So anyway, that's I'm so kind of looking forward to that. Some, some interesting change of rhythm for me. So. Okay, l- listen, when Matt was on sabbatical last summer, mm-hmm. he came to Colorado. 
Oh. So I'm just wondering, since yeah. you're going to be on you know, sabbatical, are you coming to Colorado? I uh, hadn't thought about it. I'm actually doing quite a bit of, I mean, for me, quite a bit of travel. I'm taking my daughter to New York, who's graduating from high school, a little graduation trip. That's fine. Uh, and then I'm, I am going to be in uh, Texas to get my other daughter. Uh, she's coming home um, after a year of doing AmeriCorps. So I'm driving down. We're going to spend a week together down there in mm-hmm. Austin, Texas, and we'll come back. So no trips to Colorado planned yet, Christy, but, okay, but- I mean- it's not June yet, so that's right. We'll see. That's yeah. right. You could take like a little like marriage trip, you know, oh. like just come okay. and couples. We could just do couple hangout. I, I don't know what I'll do with All my right. kids. I'll kick them out for for a few kick, days. Kick them out, right? Know. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, you're welcome. So yeah. you can come. All right. Well, now you got my wheels spinning a little there bit, you go. Christy. Matt, does does schedule change for you? Rhythms change oh, for you? Oh yeah, oh yeah. Tell us about it. Well, I'm just you know our kids are in the house and yeah. they're 14 and 11, so it's like there's no like real summer jobs. Um, mm. and then they ha- they they have some autonomy, but not like you know super abundant autonomy. Yeah. And so a lot of my time is spent uh, trying to set up things for them to do other than watch TikTok videos on their devices. <laughs> <clears throat> and yes. still and still work two jobs. Yeah. Um but my son is going into high school, so he'll be doing PE. He's gonna do like his PE thing this summer. Okay. He's gonna try out for the soccer team, so his soccer tryouts this summer. Um he's got something else going on too. And then my daughter is auditioning for a musical today. Uh Into Over the, the Woods. Summer? summer musical? Into the Woods. Yeah, and she's going to be d- directed by the same woman that directed me 25 years Come ago. Come on. Are you for real? I'm for real. Oh, that's like a... Cool. Okay, well, if she happens to find any, like, costumes, I don't know, at the side, just tell her to save them because it might be the, her future husband. Didn't right. your wife, like, save some costume that she, like... I don't know, yeah. was in a play with with you? Yeah, it's a long story. Maybe too long for the intro. <laughs> okay, but, well, we'll tell it yes. maybe around Valentine's Day. Yeah, fatal yeah, Attraction, basically. <laughs> just, if you've seen the movie, that's my marriage. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. Oh, my goodness. Well, um, yeah. How about you, Christy? Summer? Yeah, I mean, I'm this whole demon thing at Denver Seminary is kicking me. So mm. I'm going to do a lot of school yeah. and uh, mm-hmm. kids are home. Uh, Soren has a job. Um, so Kira has a babysitting job. So, yeah, I mean, a little bit of chauffeuring around more maybe in the summertime. But yeah. I love the summer. And I'll work from home probably two days a week, which is um, just a different rhythm, but yeah. but good. So yeah. I'm looking cool. forward to it. Yeah. Cool. Uh, well, we interviewed Cindy Lee. Mm-hmm. And um, – one thing that shocked me and actually really challenged me is uh, she communicated that she has not read uh, or she has read only people of color for the last two years Yeah, in her, just in her reading. And that was really challenging to me because um, I don't, I'm not sure that I pick a book based on um, the ethnicity of the author. And mm-hmm. so uh, that was just challenging of just what does it look like to be more diverse in the authors that I'm reading. So um, this is a really good interview. Uh, She's an adjunct professor at Fuller, really well-read, smart woman, um, and sensitive to leading people, like spiritual formation and leading people. So, Yeah. Yeah, her book is about, it's called, the subtitle is De-Western, it's called Our Unforming, and it's called De-Westernizing Spiritual Formation. 
Um, and I think there's some of the questions, I think some of the, the, some of the, we didn't get to some of the questions that I um, thought might be interesting to, to talk about um, for a variety of reasons. But, um, but, you know, that's one of them is, is I think sometimes people misinterpret uh, what it would mean to de-West or why we even need to de-Westernize, you know, spiritual mm-hmm. formation. And um, I think, and why somebody would, for example, only read people of color, you know, for two years. And I think it's, um, it's definitely about sort of balancing the scales. It's definitely about sort of learning to see the ways that we have made uh, white things and white people sort of the norm and measure everything else against um, that as like, oh, this is the normal, this is normal theology. And then there's like womanist theology or black liberation theology. Everything else has a qualifier around it. And I think part of her work in only reading people of color and part of the work that she does in this book is to say, well, what if what if the white stuff isn't the normal stuff? What if the Western stuff isn't necessarily the norm or the the purest form of things? What if it's mm-hmm. just one form of things? And you know, what if there's blind spots? Um, yeah. And you know, of course there, and are. there are for sure. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. So anyway, it's a, it's a great book. Um, I, this is one of the ones that I, I think I'd like to read because she's a spiritual director as well. And so I'm I'm thinking about like. I want to do a little bit more reading than I normally do over my little summer sabbatical here. And so I'm, um, I'm excited. I think I want to read through this one as well because she has all kinds of different practices. She's got a lot of different um, reflection questions and discussion questions that come out of her experience and expertise as a spiritual director. So I think it might be helpful for me to read this book um, yeah. sort of slowly over my sabbatical. It's a great book. Yeah. Well, uh, speaking of books to read over your sabbatical, Ben, I have a list mm-hmm. that I've collated over the last uh, eight years that I think would yeah. help you. Yeah, um, <laughs> to have you, really. <laughs> we have work for you to do during your yeah, sabbatical. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, no, I'm just no. kidding. Now I'm not looking forward to it anymore. So. <laughs> um, yeah, anyway. Cindy's great and can't wait to bring this interview to you. Yep. All right, let's go. All right, let's hear from her. Cindy S. Lee joins us on the podcast today. She is a spiritual director and aspiring mystic and proudly Taiwanese-American. She leads retreats in the areas of Christian mysticism and BIPOC-centered spirituality. She completed a PhD in practical theology in the area of spiritual formation from Claremont School of Theology, and she teaches right now as an adjunct professor in the areas of Christian spirituality and spiritual direction. In her free time, she enjoys street art, coffee, and exploring the city. And today we're talking about her book, Our Unforming, De-Westernizing Spiritual Formation. Cindy, welcome to the Gravity Podcast. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. I wonder if we could start on a personal note, um, if you don't mind. What was it that led you to write this book? Uh, You know, it was something for myself, really. Um, I had completed a whole PhD in spirituality, and it was just something I was pursuing for 20 years, just the area of spiritual formation. It was for myself. Uh, But then I had a moment of crisis where I just had the sudden realization that all these spiritual traditions that I've been studying and learning from and highly valued and esteemed were all Western 
traditions. And it threw me into a personal crisis, just as a Taiwanese American, of what have I been doing with my life? <laughs> like, what, what is this all for? Um, and that just brought me on a journey to, um, to look again. And so I began yeah. a journey of just reading just hundreds of sources only by people of color. So I spent two years intentionally only reading from people of color. And then actually I still, 90% of what I read now continues that practice. Um, but doing that practice made me uh, ask new questions. So as I was reading, I started to ask, what is the spirituality here? What is their spiritual formation in their stories, in their writings? And that helped me to take the spirituality paradigms that I've learned and rethink them through other cultural lenses. And so that eventually became the book. Mm. Yeah, it's it's great. It's a great book. Your your book is about spiritual formation, and and even as you just were talking um, at the in the intro, you answer some questions and kind of give some definitions of what is spirituality and what is spiritual formation. Mm -hmm. Can you speak and kind of define those for us right now for our listeners? Yeah, I, I think it's pretty simple. Is right? spirituality is just our everyday interactions with the divine. Um, it's just that most of us aren't aware, right? We aren't intentionally aware of that sacred interaction that's in us and around us all the time. Um, and so it is spirituality then, or spiritual formation, is that intentional opening up of our awareness to that divine presence all around us and how it is that we may intentionally engage and interact with that sacred presence. Mm. That's good. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. We, I mean, we talk a lot about spiritual formation, um, yeah. at gravity. Um, uh, but I, I thought it was, I think oftentimes the definition of those things is assumed. And so mm -hmm. I just found it really refreshing that you did that right at the beginning of your book. So, um, I appreciate that. Um, your book, uh, th another thing that I noticed as I was reading your book, um, Cindy, is that it's, it's not like it's written exclusively for or to BIPOC people, but right. you definitely center the experiences of BIPOC people. And that, that just, for our listeners who might not be aware, Black Indigenous People of Color is what, the, that's an acronym. Um, and you address their challenges in a, in a unique way. So um, it seems like the core of your, who you're writing to is our, our BIPOC people, which I think I noticed because it, like as a white man, it felt a little uh, off kilter to me. I thought, I thought it was mm. super interesting for me to read this book and go, oh, I'm not centered here. My experience isn't being catered to. Cindy's not talking directly to me as a white person. And I just noticed how that felt different to me. Mm. Um, so I don't know. I, I wonder if you could talk to that, that aspect of this book, if that was an intentional decision or, you know, part of kind of how you sought to go about uh, writing this book. Yeah, that's really interesting to hear of your experience. Thank you for that. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, so all of my life, right, I have had to center the white experience. So in yes. all of my education, when we learn history, it's a white-centered history. Even when I watch TV, right, it's usually a white-centered experience. So my body is conditioned, my brain, my spirit is conditioned to center the white experience and to learn how to navigate that white centeredness as an Asian American. Um, and so I have been on a journey of 
I don't have to do that. So, um, so in the writing of this book, for sure, it is I am centering the experiences of people of color in the U.S. Um, and their stories, and I'm writing that way unapologetically. That doesn't mean that um, white people aren't welcome, right? It's just yes. you can experience the same thing that people of color have experienced yes. <laughs> as well. You can know what that's like. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so then for my other areas of my life, I've been trying to do the same thing. So I now try to practice um, center an Asian American centered experience of preaching. So no matter who I'm preaching to, who I'm teaching to, I center people of color um, as I'm speaking or teaching. Um, so it's just become a practice to get my body um, readjusted yeah. to not centering the white experience. Um, yeah. yeah. And, uh, you know, as I write in the book, white people are welcomed into this conversation. And then the practice for white readers is to not center the white experience as well, um, to practice yes. doing that too. Yeah. And now a word from a sponsor. The Gravity Podcast is sponsored by the Gravity Formation Course, our 12-month cohort-based training in practical spiritual formation, where you'll learn how to notice how God is already at work in your life so you can participate more fully in the life that God shares with us. It is a discipleship process that goes beyond just gaining more knowledge and trying out some new practices. In the Gravity Formation Course, we go below the surface of our lives so that we can notice and name our deepest desires in God's presence and to discern how God is at work in those desires to lead us toward holistic flourishing, more transformation, more life, more joy, more love. We've trained hundreds of people from all over the world in this formation framework, and it's helped many people to have a sense of God at work in their lives and learn to be more at home in God's love. If you'd like to learn more, go to gravitycommons.com formation. All right, let's get back into our conversation. I would just say, like, reading your book is a way of doing that. So I just, I will tell the white people who are listening, it's a profoundly helpful experience to have not just the knowledge that I shouldn't center white people all the time, but to actually have an experience of, like, walking through a text that does not do that, mm-hmm. which, gives, which gives us the experience of going, oh, I'm not, I'm welcome here, but I'm not centered here. And I think that's a confusing thing for uh, like the way that we're scripted as white bodies is that we assume that to be welcome, we need to be centered. And that if we're not centered, we feel like we're being rejected. And so, I don't know, it was helpful for my spiritual formation to read your book just from that perspective. So, thank you. Yeah, yeah Ben, I wonder, I wonder uh, maybe, Ben, this is just for you and me, which yep. would Sidebar. be ironically centering Sidebar. ourselves here. <laughs> but um, I, I wonder if if most of our... Most of most for most of my life, I didn't even realize that whiteness was centered, right. or being cisgendered right. male was centered. Right. Just had no idea. Right. And so when I went encounter something like Cindy's book, uh, I didn't know why I responded to it the way I did. Yeah. You know, when I wasn't centered, I experienced that as some kind of opposition mm. or marginalization. Or, uh, you know, uh, use a word here that I never really thought, but some people feel like it's persecution, right, to not be centered. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I think part of, uh, part of just waking up to the fact that, yes, this is your, that you live in a culture that centers you, culture is built to center white men, and then this thing you're feeling 
is what how your body responds to not being centered. And that's okay. You're going to be just fine. <laughs> like, you're going to be just fine, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, Cindy, your chapters go through aspects or artifacts of maybe how you're um, unforming or unwinding the Western parts of your faith. And I, I don't know if this question is helpful or not. I'll let, I'll let you tell me. But when we talk about the Western worldview, could is there do you have like an elevator 92nd? What is the Western worldview? How would you name it, identify it? Yeah, I, I don't have a 90-second answer to that because the whole book, right, is um, yeah. listing at different aspects of the Western worldview. Um, and in the book, I, I use actual studies, right, from social sciences that, that demonstrate some, some of the Western worldview that has been tested and proven, um, and then take from that, um, what does that mean for our own spirituality and formation? But I will say that I think the most prominent Western worldview that affects our spirituality and formation is our individualism. Um, And I I say our too, because I grew up in the US. So I also have that individualism ingrained in me. At the same time, living with my Taiwanese family, I have that collective um, orientation built in me. And so for me, it's been like a a conflict my whole life. Um, and so for me, the formation is, oh, I don't have to be individualistic. Like I can lean into the collective um, orientation and then have a spirituality and formation that comes out of that orientation. Um, so I think the individualism is what affects our faith and spirituality the most as far as the Western worldview. Mm. That's helpful. Cindy, I'm um, getting my doctorate in ministry at Denver Seminary in spiritual formation. Great. And I'm curious to hear how has all of your study, writing this book, your own practices, and being an Asian American woman, how does that change how you practice spiritual formation when you are, you know, being a director for somebody? Yeah, it just, it's awareness is the biggest difference. Um, So, and there's a lot, many factors in that. So there's greater awareness of systemic structures. So if I'm meeting with uh, people of color, directees of color, I may have a greater awareness of the histories different histories of people of color in the U.S. and the systemic barriers that my directees may face in their everyday life. So they may be telling me a story like everyone else, like a story about work or a story about family, but there may be an unspoken uh, underlying systemic barrier behind the story. So so oftentimes I have a greater awareness of that. They are aware of that and I'm aware of that. And sometimes it's spoken out loud, sometimes it's not, but we both can feel those systemic barriers behind their story. Um, Mm -hmm. Other things is just um, when racial issues come up, which is very regularly in our country, like we can stop and just mourn together um, and 
just have like there's no explanation that w- they need to do with me that we I understand and we can just stop and mourn together. Um, and then from the book is just these different cultural orientations um, may come in as different factors. So, for example, communal discernment is a big thing. So uh, the Western church teaches discernment oftentimes as individual decisions that you make for yourself. But mm-hmm. particularly for my Asian directees, our decisions are not individual decisions. Like we consider all the family factors, the community factors, even our extended family can can influence the decisions that we're making in our life. And so we take all of that into account and we use more of a communal discernment in our, our decision making instead of what is best for you or your immediate family. Man, that's so important. I'm going to I'm going to give my advisors your name and say you need to come <laughs> teach a class because I think everybody in that program needs to hear and 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 come to spiritual formation not as just a white-centered person. Yeah. Um, it's really important. So mm-hmm. anyway, thank yeah. you. Yeah, Cindy, one of the aspects, you know, we talk about the Western uh, worldview or, or imagination. Um, one of the aspects of that is that oftentimes – Spiritual issues are separated from political issues, and I'm putting all those in both mm-hmm. the, both in scare quotes, right? Yeah. Um, p- spiritual and political, and so so spiritual formation. Well, that's one kind of conversation about my life with God, my, my, maybe my prayer life, or maybe this, you know, my relationship with my mother. You know, like it's very sort of focused on me. But then there's other, like when we talk about, okay, now it's time to talk about racism. Oh, well, that's a different discussion. You know, there might be Christian mm-hmm. ways of thinking about that. But um, one of the things that you explicitly do very early in this book is link those together um, very explicitly, that part of our spiritual formation is reckoning with the ways that we participate in or suffer from racism, white colonialism, you know, that kind of thing. So um, I wonder if you could just say a bit more about that. Why, why do these things um, need to be linked to our spiritual formation? Why can't we sort of conveniently separate these things out? Yeah, well, that's where our Western worldview comes into play is we have a highly individualistic and private faith. Mm -hmm. So we think that faith is something private to our individual decisions and is no one else's business, it's my own decision. But for those that grow up in a collectivist culture, right, everything is interrelated, everything is linked. So you can't separate out what's happening in the community from what's happening in your spirituality. Like those are directly related. And so if you have a collective worldview, then you need the community to be healed. You need the community to be whole in order for the individual to have a complete healing and wholeness. And so we need to pay attention then to what's happening to our community, whether that's just the people around us or our whole nation is our community as well. And so we need to be paying attention to who in our community uh, is experiencing brokenness and oppression. And if they are not experiencing healing, then I will not until they are. Um, Mm. And so that includes all these different issues then that come up of what is oppressing our communities. Yeah. 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 Speaking of oppressing our communities, I think the last eight years or so for a lot of um, a lot of our white listeners has been really hard. <laughs> um, there's been a cultural earthquake in the white Christian church. I saw a statistic 
yesterday that the Southern Baptist Convention lost, lost half a million people last year. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, you have the election of Donald Trump and Me Too, Church Too, Black Lives Matter, you got the pandemic, this proliferation of what are cataclysmic events. And so I want to talk about your chapter on um, uncertainty, uh, because I, I think um, one of the things I'm noticing about myself and other Christian, white Christian leaders is that we don't know how to suffer well. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you, you write in that chapter, quote, there is a difference between a theology of suffering and a spirituality of suffering. A theology of suffering asks why, which I, that's the question I want, I want answered. Um, a spirituality of suffering, this is continuing your quote, a spirituality of suffering may not be able to explain why, but allows us to stay in the discomfort of not knowing and not understanding, to survive and to be present to the suffering community. Can you speak more on this? I think there's something for me and for our listeners uh, in, in this wisdom that uh, is contained in this quote. Yeah, I think because we've we've had a faith, a Christian faith that has primarily been in our head, when suffering and uncertainty happens, we try to fix it with our head. And so we try to come yes. up with a theology of suffering, some sort of reason why, try to answer on behalf of God, um, and, and but we've never come up with a satisfactory answer, right? Yeah. There is no... Yeah. Um, rationale for evil. We can't rationalize it away. Um, What I've learned from um, my time in other countries, in people that have a constant state of uncertainty, a constant state of oppression, what I learned from those communities is they try to figure out a spirituality of suffering. How can we be with each other even in the midst of these uncertain circumstances, even in the midst of constant suffering, how can we continue to be community for one another? And that is a spirituality of uncertainty, is how do we be present to each other, even if we don't have the answers why? How do we stay together um, and be present? Um, Yeah. 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 What I hear you saying there, Cindy, let me see if I'm um, picking up what you're laying down. Is that we think what we think answers will help us, but really what helps us is being connected to other people who see us and suffer with us. Like having solidarity in the suffering is more important than than answers for why. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, yeah. there are, oftentimes there are no answers. <clears throat> For why, right? So even when I'm meeting with directees, like there will be an effort, a need to try to like get that comfortable feeling. And so we try to answer with some sort of hopeful statement or even my directees will try to give hopeful statements to themselves, but it really doesn't, (laughs) doesn't resolve anything. And so what we need to do in our spirituality is, okay, how do we just feel what we feel in this moment when there is no rationalization. We can't rationalize evil. Evil is just yeah. evil. So how do we stay attuned to what we're feeling and be aware of that and feel together, mourn together, be angry together? Um, I think that is our spirituality, is being able to feel together. Yes. 
yeah, I think we need permission for that. We need to learn how to do that. I don't mm-hmm. think we do that well. Yeah. Um, and so it's just, a uh, yeah, I need to learn how to do that better because I just want the answer. I want the fix it thing. <laughs> um, you, we mentioned this before, but you talked about, you know, shifting from individualism to the collective. And I'm wondering if you can double click on this for us for just a second, because in your book, you talk about the practice of hospitality um, and you contrast like inverted hospitality. And I'm just wondering if you can define that for us. What is inverted hospitality? And then how does cultivating hospitality open us up to a more collective spirituality? Yeah, the term uh, inverted hospitality comes from Willie Jennings um, and his powerful book, uh, The Christian Imagination. Um, And so in that, he talks about how colonialism and colonization worked, is that the um, colonizers went into other people's lands (laughs) and expected the people that they went to to conform to their Western ways, their Western faith, their Western Uh, worldview. Um, And so that is an inverted hospitality rather than seeing themselves as guests um, and being received um, by and honoring the people that they visited. They just took over and claimed themselves the owners, the new hosts of the space um, and then uh, practice an inverted hospitality. And we do that in the church. (laughs) We expect other people to conform to our faith, but it's not a pure Christian faith. It's a heavily Western influenced faith. And so we expect people to conform to our, the ways that the Western church has embodied and understands the Christian faith. And that is, again, an inverted hospitality. We expect anyone to come into our space and become the, do things the way we do it. Um, and so I think we need to understand in our spirituality, we need to fix that inverted hospitality and be able to see other people as the hosts and ourselves as guests and be able to move into spaces as guests mm-hmm. and not think that we are always the host. Yeah. Kind of like when Jesus sent out the 72, right? Where he says, you, you, you eat what has served you, like act like a guest um, who's being received and assume that there'll be Assume that there'll be mutuality here, but um, you start by being the guest and by receiving. You start by receiving, mm-hmm. um, not by lording it over. Yeah. We'll be right back. Let's get back to the show. In your chapter on imagination, I was simultaneously haunted and filled with hope, <laughs> if that is possible. Uh, but I, it seemed like it was possible because it was happening in me by, by this quote, um, this sentence actually just in that chapter says, we don't know what Christianity looks like without its colonial and patriarchal baggage. We don't, uh, we don't yet know, I think is that, that's the key word, I think. We don't yet know what Christianity looks like without its colonial and patriarchal baggage. Um, I, and I think I was reflecting on that quote, thinking, you know, once you start to see all this stuff, it is really easy, at least for me, to get stuck in sort of just seeing, naming, and being irritated by what's wrong, mm. right? Um, and I, I, I think there's there's a unique thing that you talk about in your book that you know that you've learned from reading these authors of color, 
um, and different um, studying communities of color, uh, marginalized communities, where there is a simultaneous ability to suffer well, like to lament, to mourn, to grieve, to be angry, like you were talking about, but also to maintain hope. Um, and it's not like the, it's not the hope, you know, of a, of a wishful thinking or ignoring what's bad, that kind of thing. And so I wonder if you can just name for us, maybe some of the practices you talk about in this chapter and other places that help us nurture this posture, even as we see and name what's wrong, how do we nurture a posture of hope filled imagination, even in the midst of our suffering? Yeah. So that, chapter uses imagination as a spiritual practice. That is mm-hmm. a spiritual capacity that we've been given is our imaginations, our ability to dream and create what doesn't exist, right? So we need then imagination um, to keep moving forward. We need to be able to see something that just doesn't exist yet. We've never experienced it yet, but somehow mm-hmm. we have the spiritual capacity to see it, to know that it could be possible. And that's what keeps us moving forward. Um, But we are not the start of that. Like our ancestors have been imagining for a long time. Um, So civil rights leaders have been imagining um, before us um, and that because they could imagine, they did what they did for us. Um, And then we have to pick up that imagination. What can we see next? Um, and then keep moving forward towards what we can see. Um, So when I lead retreats or even with my directees one-on-one, we use, you know, the practice of imagination quite a bit. Like, what can you see? Mm. What is the community that you can see? Yeah. Lovely. Any other questions, (laughs) y'all? Oh, man. (laughs) I have a ton. Well, yeah. let me maybe ask about this. Um, I've I've learned a lot about anger in the last several years and about my dysfunctional relationship to my own anger. Mm-hmm. And I think I come by it honestly. I think anger is seen as an unwanted, untoward emotion in the white church. Um, uh, God can be angry, but we can't. Um, and then I've been learning about a little bit about how anger is actually holy and uh, to reevaluate my relationship to my anger. You, you talk about the importance of the spiritual practice of anger in your book, and I know that you can't go into all of that, but I think a lot of white Christians are waking up to permission to be angry about things, and I wonder if you could speak to that, to the spiritual practice of anger, just as a, maybe as a parting word of exhortation or encouragement. Yeah, I think the holy anger is being angry at what steals our sacredness, right? being angry at the evil forces that um, treat us as less human. Um, and so I can be angry when that happens to myself, but also when that happens to people in the community, that when their sacredness is dismissed or denied, um, I can um feel that collective anger. Um, and I yeah. think that will that holy anger is really important for collective change. Um, yeah, because people of color aren't going to be the ones that can heal racism. We need white people <laughs> to wa- work with other white people 
to heal racism. Yeah. It shouldn't be on people of color to do that work. It should be on white mm. folks to do that work. Um, and so mm. we also need white folks to feel that collective anger that when people yes. are treated yeah. as less human, when their dignity is um, dismissed, we mm. all have a collective anger together. Yeah. Yeah, Cindy, I'm so glad you said that. I was thinking about this uh, in the shower. I don't usually talk about the things I think about in the shower, but I was thinking about this particular thing in the shower, um, about the dis- this discourse around the racial divide and how that obscures or elides responsibility and kind of hides responsibility for the division we experience, right? And there's this, I think there's this impulse uh, among many white Christians, and I know I've I've experienced this, and at times I've even thought it was a virtuous or pious thing to believe, which is to try to find some way to stay out of or above the fray, mm-hmm. right? To be sort of a, be kind of a kinder, gentler, less offensive white moderate. <laughs> um, <clears throat> and that impulse in me leads me to do things that uh, are sub-Christian, really, mm-hmm. uh, it leads me into places of trying to not have this solidarity, not have this inverted hospitality, not join, to use Willie James Jennings' language, with, uh, as a guest, into areas of racial division. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, I really appreciate that word because I think, I think it's very difficult to hold anger well, to deal with our racial trauma, and have resiliency to deal with the anxiety that the principality and power of whiteness creates for white people. It's really difficult for white people to bear that anxiety, to be resilient and to stay in it for the long haul. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I appreciate this, this spiritual practice of having a capacity to hold holy anger at the desecration of creation is something that, I mean, I'm just receiving as, as a gift from your book. So yeah. thank you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And you know, despite, despite the fact that it is true, Matt, what you said earlier about how um, anger is sort of seen as a suspect emotion in the white church, um, even more so is people of color being angry. You know what I mean? Like if anybody can, is allowed to be angry, it's white people. Like we, like we can actually, <laughs> that's true. You know, that's like true. We have, yeah. we have a, a ways to go with this. And I think, I think what you're saying is true, Cindy, that that's actually perhaps then part of our responsibility is to allow ourselves to, you know, sufficiently stand in enough solidarity that we really do feel angry, you know, we're not performing anger. We're like we feel angry because we have joined ourselves enough with uh, marginalized people to feel the same things that they feel, at least uh, feel an analogous feeling, right? Um, to feel with, uh, to have empathy with. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah. Well, uh, this is a great book. Um, it's short, I will say as well. If you're, if you know, if you're scared of uh, books, if you're a, if you're not a reader, uh, this is a short book. Um, but it is, it is, um, it's a dense book. Um, I found myself uh, as I as I read through it um, for this interview, Cindy. I found myself thinking, I'm going to want to keep this one on the shelf, and I'm going to want to read through this again. I'm going to want to refer to this um, book. So it's that kind of a book. Um, and I'll, I'll just say too, the recommended resources in the back are probably worth the price of the book. Um, yeah, so you, sure. you list tons of tons of these resources, tons of these authors that you've been reading, um, and that you quote extensively in the book. And so, uh, once again, the book is called "Our Unforming: Dewesternizing Spiritual Formation" by Cindy Lee. 
Um, Cindy, before we go, if besides picking up a copy of the book, are there other ways that people can connect with you and your work um, online, perhaps? Or? Uh, yeah, I'm mostly present on Instagram. Uh, so you can find me there at at Finding Eden, F-I-N-D-I-N-G-E-D-E-N. Um, so you can okay. follow me there. All right. That sounds good. Cindy, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Well, that was uh, great. I feel like we could talk to her for another three, four hours. Mm, yeah. Yes. I- I wish she was a professor, like in my program. Yeah, I feel like I feel like Colorado, well, Denver is just not very diverse. Yeah, I mean Colorado as a whole, and so I feel like, especially within, I'm not knocking Denver Seminary. I love them. Please don't like <laughs> write me letters, but mm. I just think like we need. I need more voices. I need yeah. people to teach me. I, I, yeah. I, my eyes are not open, and I need them to be open. Yeah, to more of this. So. Yeah. It's great that we, I'm glad we interviewed her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Christy, before, before we'd, we've done a lot of work on this podcast to try to uh, uh, educate ourselves and expose our listeners to listening to non-white, non-majority theologians and Christians. And, and um, you know, one of the, the four-part series on CRT we did several years ago, mm-hmm. I still hear about that. Yeah. Uh, it's part of curriculums. People have curriculums and that, that yeah. podcast series is a part of that. So listener, if you haven't listened to the four-part CRT series with Nathan Cartagena, uh, uh, indulge, treat yourself. Yeah, go for it. Yeah, yeah, it's good. Um, but all that to say, um, I think that there. I'm with you, Christy. Like I don't think I think I'm just basically peering into it. And and what I can do is I can like put the glasses on and be like, oh yeah, what Cindy's saying is great. And then I take off my headphones, walk away from my microphone, and I forget what I look like. Mm-hmm. You know, right? Um, and so it's, yeah. I need to be continually exposed to this so that I can increasingly see it, mm-hmm. not as a choice, but so that I can't choose not to see it. Right? Yes. Does that make yes. sense? Yeah. Yeah, cuz I feel like I'm I'm getting better. I see it more in in politics, in policy, even in maybe church gatherings, but specifically in spiritual formation, there's like a big gap for me. Yeah. Um and so Yes. It's a good conversation. Yeah. Yeah, it's, I I I felt that as well like when she like it's a book about spiritual formation, right? It's like the the title de-westernizing spiritual formation. But like the mm-hmm. first or th- like second page, she talks about white colonialism. She talked like all of that kind of stuff. And so there's this interesting sort of effortless ability to link these things um, yeah. that I, I feel like I don't yet have. I still feel like I have this old paradigm for spiritual formation that it's like, oh yeah, that's spiritual disciplines and that's about me and God. Yeah, And it doesn't yes. really have to do, this other stuff is important, but it's something other than spiritual formation. Yeah. And so I, I deeply appreciated a lot of, um, a lot of this Ish. book. So, and she's got, um, you know, I, I felt encouraged too, just by, um, just by reading through this book, because I think a lot of our instincts that we've been experimenting with at gravity for the last few years are, have been moving us in this kind of direction. I feel like we've been like groping our way through the dark a little bit, but I think we've sensed, you know, um, I think we've sensed, that there's something off about the way that we think about formation and the way that we think about the Christian life. And so anyway, I, I just was encouraged. It sort of feels like, oh, it's a little less dark with uh, guides like Cindy um, among us. So grateful for yes. that. Okay. 
I totally agree. But okay. next time, you cannot say the word groping on here. What? <laughs> yeah. I'm talking about groping I'm with in Christy, the dark. Ben. No. No, I've lost it's track never, of the number of times when I just have okay. to apologize for the things that come out of Ben's mouth. <laughs> <laughs> it's a very common phrase. It's very common. Yeah, groping in the dark. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's true. It's oh my true. Goodness. Um, you know, one All question right, well, I, I, I didn't get a chance I, to. Yeah, one question. You, Sorry. Yeah, one question I didn't get a chance to ask her. Uh, we kind of ran out of time. Is what? Uh, what's a DJ's favorite pizza sauce? This is just a question. This is kind of a standard question that we ask all our You're guests. Well, it's a question I've been asking a lot of people. Ask Cindy that. Yeah, I was going to ask her. What's I'm on to you, Matt. What's Teddy. a DJ's favorite? Chrissy, do you know what a DJ's favorite pizza sauce is? I, I don't, but I bet you're going to tell me. Marinara? <laughs> I'm really glad you didn't say that during the podcast. Do you, oh do, you, do you get it, Christy? That yeah. sounds like a record scratching. I get it. Yeah. I get it. But it's Thank also a, it's also a tomato sauce. Yeah, I th- I think it was good that you didn't ask Cindy that too. So yeah, me uh, too. well, she doesn't seem like she well. suffers fools. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, yeah. Well, um, maybe we'll let her listen to this outro and she can decide what's what yeah, causes she, her more umbrage, which she takes umbrage with more uh, groping in the dark uh-huh. or marinara. <laughs> All right. Well, listener, if she does email us, uh, we'll let you know. All right. <laughs> all right. Until next time. Thanks for listening, everybody. Yeah. yeah good peace. to be with you all. See you next week. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Gravity Leadership Podcast. If you're finding it helpful, we'd love it if you tell your friends about it. Ratings and reviews online also help others find the podcast. And don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. You can join our Gravity community for free. You'll get our latest content delivered straight to your inbox, as well as an email most Fridays with curated links to articles that we found interesting or helpful. To join us, go to gravityleadership.com slash join. Our show is produced by Ben Sturkey and Matt Tebby. Aaron Sturkey edits and mixes the podcast. You can check out his work at aaronsturkey.com. We'd love to hear from you. To record a question or comment for us, go to gravityleadership.com slash message and click the start recording button. You can also email us at podcast at gravityleadership.com. Catch you next time.